You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. In case you didn't didn't notice, it's always it's always fun to watch these young people uh, get involved, even if it is comical. Sam, did you uh, Levi? Did you take your nap today so you don't fall asleep? His dad was telling me last time he ushered, he had to take a nap, make sure he'd make it through the evening service. But we're gonna get him. We're gonna get him serving God. Jacob, that was a fantastic prayer, buddy. Thank you for that. I enjoy seeing young people serve God. So it's just exciting to see that. Enjoy seeing young people come up here and, and sing and use their talents for God, uh, even if it is my daughter and she causes much frustration at home. You did a great job, you and Miss Belly of both. And uh, how about one being saved this morning? That's something to be excited about. I, uh, I tell you, as a preacher, that, that thrills my soul. When you know that you spend time in prayer uh, and you put a lot of thought and effort into a message uh, and to see the result of that, to see somebody get saved, there's no greater joy uh, than to know that exactly what God has called you to do is being effective. Uh, it's of none effect if I don't have Him. Uh, so I just pray that you guys would continue to pray for me. I thank you for the many prayers uh, that you guys have given me. I also uh, thank you for the uh, many suggestions this morning about continuing to run short. I noticed I didn't make it quite to noon, so I'm going to make up for that this afternoon, uh, just so you guys don't get used to that. Pastor will be proud of that. That way you guys are ready for Wednesday when he comes back, because I promise he's going to have a lot to say. So I want to make sure you guys are ready for that. But I'm going to do something a little bit different tonight than what I typically do. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the title of my message now because I want you guys to think about it uh, all the way throughout the message. The title of the message is this, Wisdom, Greatest Blessing or Greatest Curse? The study of wisdom in Scripture is, quite honestly, it's inexhaustible. You could spend hours upon hours studying what Scripture has to say about wisdom. Uh, There's a lot of deep digging into the thought of wisdom. Uh, Oftentimes, when we think somebody to be wise, we may attribute that to experience, maybe in a field or a specific career path. Uh, I often think about uh, my experience as a technician and working my way through the ranks to master technician. That that took a lot of wisdom and knowledge of the brand, understanding how certain components and systems function uh, so that I could be able to complete the tasks that I need to complete. I think of Miss Ashton and Brother Landon and uh, Brother Dustin and their ability to pilot an aircraft. That's no small feat. That takes much study. Uh, they dedicate themselves to that completely. There's many, many switches in those aircrafts. You hit the wrong one, something could go tragically wrong, and they have to be uh, knowledgeable of that. There is time and effort spent in that. Uh, I think of Mike Conde and Brother Frank and just uh, the field of physical therapy and having to understand the human anatomy that is important uh, so that they don't hurt their clients and so that they can be an aid and help better their clients. That all takes wisdom and a dedication to attain to such things. I certainly do not believe that there's anything wrong with obtaining such knowledge, such wisdom. It's often necessary in providing for our families. That's how we're going to go forward. Uh, We want to learn and to grasp those things so that we could use them in life. Uh, I know many at my my house, they don't like algebra and they don't like uh, biology. 
and you think, oh, well, that's worthless. But you have to think about people that use that every day. They have to have that wisdom so that they can use that, that knowledge, that wisdom to help them not make tragic mistakes. Math is important in the automotive field. They ask me all the time, is it hard to be a mechanic? Yeah, it is. Uh, especially with the way cars are going now, you have to know how these features operate. Uh, the last thing as a mechanic I want is for somebody to get in their car and drive on the freeway and die because of a mistake that I made. That's why it's important that we attain to such wisdom. But I've often wondered and been often afraid to study fully what the Bible says on the topic of wisdom. Wisdom is one of those things that I have very little of, but I want much more of. But I want to have the right type of wisdom. To dive into that study, you really need to understand what wisdom actually is. And what does it mean, that word wisdom? It's interesting to note when you look it up in Noah Webster 1828, it gives multiple explanations and meanings of the word. I found this very interesting. You have wisdom as intended by God, and it's defined as such. True religion, godliness, piety, the knowledge and fear of God, and sincere and uniform obedience to his commands. This is wisdom, which is from above. Then you have wisdom, what we would consider worldly wisdom or flesh, fleshly wisdom, and it's defined as such. Carnal policy of men, their craft and artifices, and promoting the, their temporal interests called also fleshly wisdom. I found that as I studied more and more that scripture aligns with both of these definitions. And I believe wholeheartedly tonight it's important that we understand the difference in both and are sure to attain to the right type of wisdom. It can be tragic in our lives when we attain to the wisdom of the world as compared to the wisdom of God. We see all throughout scripture that that proves a difficult task and that even the best of men are men at best and succumb to the ways of the world. It's interesting when you start studying it out, it starts exactly in Genesis 3. Beguiled of that subtle serpent, we see that Eve partakes of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because she sees it as pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Adam and Eve left the comfort of the wisdom of God because they were enticed of worldly wisdom. And because of that, sin entered in. In Proverbs chapter 1, we see wisdom given a voice, crying out that we might seek and search, that as wisdom says, my spirit would be poured out upon you, and my words would be known unto you. The context being that we would seek after God and draw nigh unto him. In Psalm 19, 90, 12, the Bible says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom, the right type of wisdom. We have so very little time to be concerned with affairs of this world. I say it often, if we're going to continue to grow this church building that we've taken on, if we're going to continue to grow and we're going to fill it out, we have to attain to the right type of wisdom. Those who win souls are wise. Those who spend time in God's word have the right kind of biblical wisdom that we ought to have. In 1 Corinthians 2, we see Paul states that his preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. He then reiterates in that chapter that all true wisdom is from God, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. The Bible says that if we attain to worldly wisdom, that the wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Worldly wisdom brings about confusion and evil work. The Bible has much to say on wisdom, and I haven't even scratched the surface. If you were to study it out in your vine's concordance, it's mentioned over and over again, whether it be wisdom, wise, or knowledge, 
or even that of learning. Over and over again, you see wisdom all throughout Scripture. But what I found most intriguing is the account we see of King Solomon. Many know the story and the history of King Solomon. Here he is, a young man, anointed at roughly 15, 16 years old, something along that line. And then he would take over as the king at 20 years old. Could you imagine having to be king of such a large nation? No doubt that there was fear. And he wanted to have that ability to be the king that he desired to be. No doubt he had seen, seen his father, King David, make many mistakes, but he'd also seen him do great things for God. He wanted to make sure that he was sticking close to God. He calls upon God that he might give him an understanding heart to judge thy people, that he may discern between good and bad. And we find out that God is pleased with this request because Solomon realizes and understands that true wisdom comes from God and God alone. Solomon had a desire to walk close to God. If he was going to rule effectively, it was going to have to be with the power of God behind him, not with worldly wisdom. God even goes so far as to say, not only will I give thee what you have asked, but there shall never be any like you now or ever. Oh, and by the way, God also reiterates and says, I will also give you what you haven't asked for, both riches and honor. Isn't that just like God to go and bless you far beyond what you deserve when you have a right heart and a desire to serve him? It's amazing to me. Christians will stick so close to God and they'll talk about his mercy and his grace and they'll talk about how good he is and they'll talk about how he gives us all the provisions that we need. He gives us everything that we need. And yet so many times we stray from God and we seek after that worldly wisdom. By all accounts, Solomon had it made in the shade. Had he just clung to God, there would be no need for the book of Ecclesiastes. But just as man does all too often, we seek after worldly wisdom and enter into a downward spiral, downward spiral of misery. So this evening, I'd invite you to turn with Ecclesiastes chapter number one. Turn with me. Ecclesiastes chapter number one. We'll begin reading in verse number 12. <clears throat> and it says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. I commune with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom, and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Remember the question is wisdom, greatest blessing or greatest curse? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this evening, Lord. We thank you again for the one that was saved this morning. I pray that you would just help us to listen in, help distractions to be minimized. Help us to heed the warnings here in Ecclesiastes, Lord, and let it be for your praise, honor, and glory. We do love you and thank you for all that you do, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen.
if you were to take time to study this book, all throughout it, it's packed with information and warnings and, and uh, all there for, for our learning and our growth, if we would just heed to it. But this morning, we're going to just pick out three things here uh, in the beginning of the book, three things, three warnings that I think we need to heed to uh, if we're going to have the right kind of wisdom. Uh, the latter part of the life of Solomon is a stark warning to the child of God whom seeks their wisdom in this world. The first warning we see is that wisdom cannot satisfy. We notice that Solomon observed very much all that he witnesses in the world. Having had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, he decides that he wants to know more. That is the problem with the flesh. We think that we've reached a point where we've, we know everything. Uh, teenagers, you guys do this as soon as you hit 13 and you do it until you get to 25. You seem to think that you know everything and you want to attain to what the world has to tell you. But the truth is you need to stick to this book. The flesh is always wanting more. And when you get in that downward spiral, it's really hard to get out of that. I can attest to that this evening. Once you start, it's like Pringles. Once you pop, you just can't stop. <laughs> right? That's kind of how sin goes. And we, we think that's funny and we laugh and I understand that. But that's how scary it is. It's hard. It becomes addicting to the flesh. And the next thing you know, you're years down the road going, God, how did I get to this foreign country? How did I get so far away from you? Wanting more in of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing, but you have to ask yourself, is this wisdom that you're trying to attain to, is it helping or hindering your walk with God? Verse number 17, he says, And I gave my heart to, to no wisdom and to no madness and folly. I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit. All throughout this, you'll see him make that comment, vexation of spirit. That means that it's troubling, that it's harassing, it's hindering. It's not doing any good to help him be closer to God, but only driving him further and further from God. And why would you want to give yourself over to that? I believe oftentimes we do this. We look at the world and we go, you know, they're living a wicked lifestyle and nothing seems to be happening to them. Nothing seems to be going wrong in their lives. What happens if I would give myself over to that? That's a dangerous mistake for the child of God. When we start getting away from, the, from God, bad things are going to start happening in, in our lives. That's when you start losing things. You start losing people. And we have to attain to the right type of wisdom so that we can stay close to God. Does that mean that we're going to necessarily have an easy walk with God? No, absolutely not. But he is the one that gives us our true wisdom, our strength. He says he gave his heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I don't believe that he just looked upon it and said, nope, vexation of spirit. It's harassing. It's troubling. I can't do that. No, wisdom often tells us that to get the full experience, we must partake. We must fully emerge ourselves completely in something to gain wisdom of them. That's what the world t tells us. If I could just be real honest with you guys this night, tonight, uh, the first time that I partook of alcohol, I absolutely hated it. Hated it. But everybody around me in the world told me that I have to keep going. There's no way you can understand why people give themselves over in excess if you don't partake in that. That's what the world told me. That was what world, world wisdom was telling me, that I had to keep going, that I had to push past it, and that I would come to a point where it would grow on me and that I would enjoy those things. And that's what the world tells us. But you know what I learned? It was vexation of spirit. It didn't take me long to figure that out, but oftentimes, as so many of us do, I continued to push through that for eight years. It was troubling. I lost many friends. I lost a lot of sleep. My parents didn't talk to me for a period of time. It distorted my view of true wisdom and rather turned my gaze upon the world and not on God. 
I find it very interesting what Solomon says of giving himself over to worldly wisdom. Look there in verse number 18. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. That's very interesting because in Proverbs 1.5, he says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. Well, what changed? The type of wisdom that he was pursuing. He once had a desire to walk closely to God, and now he has a desire to attain what the world tells him to attain. Proverbs is often referred to as the instruction of what we should do. Solomon was writing about a man who desires to stick close to God and to seek his way and be obedient to him. A man right with God will increase in his learning as to what it is that God desires for his life and not what we desire for our life. Ecclesiastes is often referred to as instruction on what not to do. Here he clearly states that wisdom is much grief. What kind of wisdom? Worldly wisdom. When we seek to please the flesh, we're going to have grief. We're going to have sorrow. We're going to have worry. We're going to have sleepless nights. We're going to have strained relationships. This flesh gets us in a whole lot of trouble. And yet, for whatever reason, we continue to want to please it. But as often happens, when in a downward spiral of sin, Solomon went past worldly wisdom and sought wisdom and pleasure of life and riches. As I said before this morning, I, I attempted to find, find the end of that bottle of alcohol. Well, just as, as I did that, Solomon is essentially doing that here. He didn't find what he wanted in wisdom, in worldly wisdom. So he said, you know what? I have to try the next best avenue. I'm going to give myself over to riches and pleasure. Look there in chapter number two, starting in verse number three. It says, I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kind of fruits. I made me pools of water, uh, therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens, and had servants born in my house. Also I had great great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the songs of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. What pride in that. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not from, I, I withheld not my heart from any joy for my my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Here is a man whom found no satisfaction in the wisdom of world, and yet in a desire to feed his flesh, ventured then into wine and his leading of his own heart." His heart would tell and partake of all that your heart desires and set out to attain it, and truly you will find happiness. Look to the world and you shall see the great joys that come from having all the pleasures of life. We often think if I just had the money that they had, if I could just drive a car like that, if I could have that big, beautiful home complete with every piece of overly priced furniture and every piece of ugly wall art, I'd be so happy. I remember several years ago, we got the opportunity to travel to California when my father was still living there. At that time, he was working for this, this very wealthy man. He had 
way more money than any, any human should have. Millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. He had multiple homes uh, throughout California and Arizona. Uh, he was a regular at the Barrett-Jackson auctions and would buy cars left and right. He'd pay cash for them. Uh, this guy just had a lot of money. His, his, his wife was into extremely exotic, expensive horses. So they were no strangers to money. Uh, they had everything that their hearts desired. Uh, and I remember they had hired my dad to essentially take over the California location, their house. It was this huge three-story house on this protected section of beach. Uh, and from the outside, it was a very pretty house. Um, but when you get inside, it was a different story to behold. Uh, but I remember we were in town and uh, he had to work that day and he asked if we wanted to stop by and visit and, and kind of see, you know, what a $35 million house looks like. And, you know, of course, we didn't have anything better to do. So we decided that we're going to go look at this house. And I remember as we're standing at the front door of this uh, multi-million dollar home, he looks Jeremy and Jillian dead in the eye and he says, don't touch anything. Everything in this house is worth more than your entire life. That's a sad thing to say when you think about it, when you think the, about the importance of a soul. But I knew what he was trying to tell them. Don't touch anything. So the whole time, Jeremy and Jillian try not to touch anything. And you walk in the door, and it's, it's, it's a sight to behold. It was, it was something else. I mean, I don't know what it is about people with money, but they have to obtain the ugliest of everything. <laughs> You can't go to rooms to go, and you can't go to lax furniture, and you can't get nice, reasonable furniture. You just have to pay millions upon millions of dollars for the ugliest stuff that people have ever seen. Um, these people were very into art. They had blown glass everywhere. They had the three-story home with a spiral staircase, and in the middle of that was this like $18 million chandelier that they would come out every six months and take each crystal off of it and hand clean. And these people had money. Uh, so you're standing there and you're beholding all this and you're just, okay, well, what, why? Why do they have all this? I remember uh, he starts walking us through and we're, we're looking at the house and you kind of stand on the second deck and you look out the back and there's no backyard. Little, little small section of turf, no bigger than these two front rows. And then there's a staircase that goes down to the bottom and there's a uh, portion of protected beach that uh, people often get stranded on and have to run through their backyard because uh, when the tide comes in, you can't get out. And then on, off to the left-hand side there, you walk back and there's, there's a, a, what they called it a swimming pool. It was basically an oversized bathtub is essentially what it was that they paid millions upon millions of dollars to have installed. And then you go to the back side where their home gym is and they have a sauna and all they have is dog stuff in their sauna. So it's a million dollar closet, essentially. It's a three story house and then you have a kitchen on every story and you have uh, commercial equipment in, in every kitchen. Um, and then I remember going and, uh, you know, he's talking about all the wall art, which I had absolutely no interest in. It's the ugliest stuff I've ever seen. And we come to this one wall and he's telling us, you know, they had to, uh, when they bought the house, they completely renovated it. They tore the sheetrock out of the entire house, put uh, three quarter plywood um, behind the sheetrock. And then they had to double up the sheetrock because the, the wall art was just so expensive. Uh, they didn't want it to fall off. And two, it was heavy. So they had to make sure that everything was reinforced. And we're standing there looking at this, the ugliest thing I've ever seen. It was four pieces of four by eight plywood glued together. And then the guy took a chainsaw 
and put holes all through the, through the pieces of plywood and then threw paint at it. <laughs> and it was over $100,000 to have this mounted on his wall. I could teach Jeremy right now to do that and we would have this building paid for by the end of the year. <laughs> Don't even have to go to Bible college. You'll just make wall art for rich people with too much money. But you're sitting there and you're walking through every room of this, this house and it's, 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 it's only a three bedroom house. And the house itself, uh, I think the garage was something like 17,000 square foot for reference that's bigger than our church. Uh, you think about that in size comparison. And, and their house, it's only three bedrooms. So you go into each room and each room's about this size. Just absolutely crazy. Like what are you gonna do with that much space? just seems like more junk to clean. And then you go downstairs and you walk in in their laundry room. They had 10 washers and dryers and they don't even do their own laundry. They have a whole crew that does their laundry for them. So you go in and you see all this and you're like, why? Does this make you happy? I remember watching as, as these ladies, they would come in behind us and they would sweep behind us as we would walk through each room and they would dust everything off and they would tell us over and over again, don't touch anything, don't touch anything, don't touch anything, make sure you don't touch anything because they had glass all over the entire house. And I remember asking these ladies, I said, do these people have children? And they said, well, uh, no, but they do have grandchildren that, are, that they come here from time to time. And uh, I said, well, what do they do for fun? Because they can't touch anything. They can't run through the house. Said, they do nothing. They do nothing. They sit in the sauna with the uh, dog stuff, and they're not allowed to touch anything. Do you imagine the joy that's in this home? Everything was strategically placed. It had a home. Everything had to be spotless all the time. And you think about that, and you look at everything, and you go... Where's the joy? Where's the joy in that? No doubt these people were smart. They had done great things by world standards to be able to attain all this stuff, this, this garbage. They had put great time and effort into that. What I found most interesting is, is you go right in the middle of the house. It's kind of an interesting setup. It's like this spiral thing. And I remember they had this, it was a beautiful library made of rare wood that uh, is extinct. I think it was called rosewood. Uh, they didn't want you to breathe on it because they were afraid you'd change the tannins and the color in it. And it was just absolutely phenomenal when you look at it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to look upon. And you see it just chock full of self-help and, and garbage, and just worldly wisdom books, how to get rich, how to sell apartments. I mean, some of the stuff you read in there, you're like, what, what joy is there? Is this helping you? In your walk with God. And I remember um, as we ended our tour, I asked my dad, I said, are these people saved? No, I don't believe so. Have you ever tried to witness to them? Yeah, they don't care. I said, are they happy people? His answer was kind of interesting. He said, well, they care a great deal about their money and their stuff. I said, but that doesn't answer my question. Are they happy? No. It didn't really seem that anything they had in the house had brought them much happiness. And that's really small to what Sol Solomon had. He had far more than they had. And he didn't find any happiness in that. I can, I can say that's true in my own life. I have attained to the wisdom of the world and tried. You know, I sought out when I got into the automotive industry, my whole goal was to climb the corporate ladder. 
I wanted to make as much money as possible, and for a long time I did. I was very successful at it, but you know what I found? I wasn't happy. Missing out on church, that love that I once had for going to church, I missed that. I didn't want to chase after those worldly things anymore. And I'll be real honest with you, I think about that house a lot. It's probably been four or five years since we visited that house. I think about it all the time, not because I covet their amazing art or because I desire to have this big fancy house, but because I am so grateful for the wisdom that God has besought upon me, that he has bestowed upon me, how he's brought me out of that dark place in my life and he's got me into a church and he's got me involved and he's got me with a good godly wife who desires the same thing, that wisdom of God. And I'm learning how trusting and leaning upon him has brought me true joy and happiness. That wisdom that we attain to through God is going to be what brings us happiness. You see, worldly wisdom told Solomon and tells so many others, seek after what your heart desires and you will find the satisfaction you long for. But we know that isn't true. Even if we've tried it just for a little while, I can promise you with certainty, you will not find happiness in the wisdom of this world. Don't turn from what it is you truly want, but rather dedicate your whole life into attaining it. It's sad you see people give themselves over to a career. They can't even have families because they just dedicate themselves to long work hours. That's all they do. As they go in and they have the daily grind day in and day out, they spend their entire lives for what? They say that so that you can leave a legacy behind for your family. I'm sure your family would rather have you guiding them by this book rather just than just saying, here's your allowance, don't spend it all. But too often we turn to that worldly wisdom. So much of the world spends vast amounts of time laboring to acquire things that they can never enjoy. It's great, you have all those toys. You've seen that bumper sticker that says, he that has the most toys wins, what does he win? Nothing, except that he lost all his money on foolish things. Because the world tells them that you need more and more and more. More about Jesus, not more of the world. Look there in verse number 11. It says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I... And the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Could you imagine being in Solomon's position? He's given himself over to the world, and he's attained much wisdom in the world, and he's dedicated much labor into acquiring all these things that have brought him absolutely no joy, and also knowing that at one point in his life he had walked so closely with God. How heavy that must be. But how often we do that and how we need to heed the warnings in this book. If we're not careful, we can be just like Solomon. Maybe we don't have as much stuff as Solomon has, but we could still have that vexation of spirit. There's nothing more troubling to the child of God when you separate yourself from God and you know that you have no peace or joy in your life. And then to know that you can go back to God, but to still drive further into the wisdom of the world. How sad is that, and how often do we do that? I think about our young people, especially those that are getting ready to go into Bible college. You think you're getting out from underneath mom and dad, and you are to an extent, but we hope that what you've learned here and what we've instilled in you stays with you. Because even in Bible college, I can tell you this, that people get astray. 
And it can be just like that, and they can have their whole life changed because they attain to the worldly wisdom. You guys are going to go, and you're going to get secular world jobs, and you're going to hear filthy communication. You're going to hear people talk about some pretty perverse things. And you could say, you know what, I want that. I want to try that. Or you can sit close to this book and you can allow God to be in full control of your life. And I, I promise you, you're not missing out on anything that the world has to offer. You think you're missing out and they'll tell you you're missing out, but you're not missing out on anything. Some of the greatest joy I've ever had in my life is, is watching you people just have fun. I love it. I love coming here and watching these kids tackle each other in the front. And they may get in their fights and they may get in trouble for mom and dad for getting grass stains, but there's no other place I'd rather have them be. There's something exciting about watching a Sam Duncan and a Levi Duncan and a Jacob Tillman usher for God. We're instilling into them what it means to serve God. That is godly wisdom. And you may think it a small thing and you may think it's just fun and games, but we are teaching you something. That if you stick close to God, God will be where your true happiness comes from. How sad it must have been for Solomon to know that he once walked so close to God. And yet his gaze turned from the wisdom of God to the wisdom of the world. It says there was no prophet under the sun. He had labored and labored and labored for nothing. No treasures laid up in heaven because he was busy trying to satisfy himself. No godly example for his children. And we learn about that. Solomon started out well and was able to do great things for God. When he clung to God's wisdom, he was blessed. But when he sought after the wisdom of this world, sorrow and grief ensued. How many people could have been helped? A man of great influence was rather uh, a man influenced greatly because he turned from God. We hear the story about how he gave himself over to the, to the many uh, wicked idols because he believed in what his wives had to say. Uh, he got so far away from God all because he sought to please the flesh. Then lastly tonight, we see Solomon's third warning in worldly wisdom. Materialism cannot satisfy. This goes pretty, pretty close hand in hand with point number two. But materialism is the tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. Solomon exhausted himself in acquiring much in the way of physical possessions. He had everything his heart could ever want, but he couldn't enjoy them. Because he was so worried that he was going to lose them at any point in time that he was more focused on how do I not lose the possessions than enjoying the possessions. Having possessions isn't necessarily a bad thing, but being good stewards of the possessions that God gives us is very important. What did he do with these? Much labor went into attaining such things, but the thought that they could at a moment be completely taken away wasn't comforting to Solomon. Turn with me to chapter number five. start in uh, verse number 13. Chapter 5, verse number 13. It says, There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth the son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind 
All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. You see that he makes mention labored for the wind. I always found that very interesting. To completely work and accomplish nothing and to grab hold of absolutely nothing. Our purpose and our point, uh, really our calling for every Christian is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a purpose in this life and we need to do something with it. I have had opportunity to speak with uh, or observe several men that have great wealth. Uh, the kind of men that have more money than they know what to do with. Uh, I've learned that almost every time without fail, every one of them, either in conversation or observation of how they live their day-to-day -day lives, it becomes very clear that even though they have everything that money could buy, they feared that the day would come that they would no longer have it. It's an amazing thing. You start talking to them and, and you know, you're trying to talk to them about a work function or a situation that needs to be corrected at work and they're more worried about their money. Uh, I remember being a part of a meeting and the owner pulled out what he called pocket change and it was like two, three, four thousand dollars in his pocket. That was his interest. That was what he cared most about. Uh, everything that he bought, he couldn't enjoy because he was worried about whether or not it was going to get taken away from him or whether or not somebody was going to break it. Uh, but what did you buy it for? Did you buy it to enjoy it or did you buy it so that it could just sit somewhere so you could go look what I have? Uh, and you see that in their lives. You see what they care about most. To them, it would be as if all the labor they put in would be all for naught. It's amazing. Uh, and I, I really wouldn't uh, have a problem telling this story if the man was in here now, but the owner of our dealership, uh, he likes to tell the story about how he came from nothing. I think it's a great story uh, in the right setting, but he came from a man or he came from a family that grew up in a trailer park and he worked his way up as janitor to a car salesman all the way up to general manager and then owner. And he's owned six, seven dealerships and he has millions upon millions of dollars. Uh, and he doesn't care about giving back to anybody, really. He likes to tell me about how he's Catholic, and he likes to tell me about how I don't know the Bible, and he likes to tell me about all the stuff that he has and all the money that he has, but never once does he ever say, you know, God gave me that money. It's always what I did to get that money, the pride that he has in that, and the worry that he has that that money is going to be taken away from him. Uh, the little things. You talk about, oh, we need this $50 part, and it's like a full-on nightmare because he doesn't want to spend his money. We should be responsible for that. Out of abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Uh, it, it, was, it was very evident what he cared about. Uh, oftentimes, you deal with these very rich people, or at least in my experience, the ones that I've dealt with, they talk about how they're Christians, quote-unquote Christians, and they like to talk about how they would give. Uh, and I remember an instance not too terribly long ago, we had an owner uh, that got bought out recently. He thought that it was this great thing that he bought this car for this woman. Now that sounds like a great story, but you don't know the history of the car. He was essentially gifting her a piece of junk that he was going to use as a tax write-off, and he wanted to say that he was giving because God moved him to do so. I don't buy that for a second. When you're going to take your junkiest car off the back lot and give it to this woman, you're going to, instead of giving this woman a blessing, you're handing her a headache because you're afraid to give because it's your money. There's no joy in that. When you attain to the wisdom of this world, you seem to have great pride in that. You want to keep it all for yourself. What good could King Solomon have done if he had just given it all away? It would have done far better. Think about missions and the, and the ability that he could have had there, the influence that he could have had there. 
That's why you hear so many Christians, you talk about, they come up here and they talk about how little money they have, but how much joy they have because they've obtained to godly wisdom and not worldly wisdom. I'd rather be broke and, and sell out for God than be rich and not have God in my life at all. Do you imagine that sleepless nights and worry of losing your possessions rather than souls or even the souls of your loved ones? I can't even fathom that. I talk about the people that I get the opportunity to witness to, and those are the people that God lays on my heart. Those are the things I'm thinking about. You know, we all have things that we like. We all have hobbies that we enjoy, and there's nothing wrong with that. But is our wisdom in obtaining godly wisdom what God desires for our life? How careful we have to be. We have to heed those warnings that we have to stick close to God if we're going to make it in this world. These things they sought after were meant in their eyes to bring them joy, but only brought about sorrow and grief. What a blessing it is when God shows you he is all you need. And when you realize that, that there is joy unspeakable. We talk about it time and time again. You go visit these third world countries. They have nothing. And somebody comes in, you think about Brother Hernandez. He goes and tells these people about Jesus Christ. And they give everything that they have. Their rice, their furniture, anything that they can give up for the glory of God. And we're worried about if somebody's going to take $20 from us. Or if we give out $20, are we going to get that $20 back? Why? Because we've, t- we've sought after worldly wisdom. I asked earlier, wisdom, greatest blessing or greatest curse? Your answer is determined largely by what wisdom you are seeking after. You can choose this world, and you have free will to do so, and God won't stop you. But I can promise with certainty your days will be filled with grief and sorrow. No joy because you've chosen the flesh over God. That thing you try so hard to please and yet never satisfy. Or you can choose the wisdom of God. And although there is no promise that it will be easy, there is always joy when you're close to Him. My hope and my prayer for this church and for those that I come in contact with is that you would choose wisdom that is of great blessing. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.